0: November 15th, a brand new season of That's What She Did podcast. We'll be bringing you 10 inspiring women you probably don't already know. On this new season of the podcast, we are shining a light on women that are at the intersection of activism and storytelling. They're fearlessly using their art, expression, and personal narratives to change the world. You're going to hear from actors and playwrights, poets and artists filmmakers and authors. They're women unapologetically challenging the status quo, and you need to hear their stories. Prepare to be inspired. This season, our fourth, is going to be pure fire. You don't want to miss this. Find it wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, that's what She com. Hey there my fellow inspiration junkies. It's me, your host Tanji Renee, and you are listening to Season Four, Episode Four of That's What She Did podcast. Before we get started, I want to say a huge shout out and thank you to our new listeners in New Zealand. Welcome! Thank you so much for finding us and joining us here and allowing us into your space, into your mind, and hopefully your hearts. And I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you, everybody, who's been sharing the show and helping us grow. If you want to support this show, All you have to do is subscribe and share, share it on your social media, talk about it with your friends and family, let them know that we're here and help us get into new eardrums. Also know that we love to take listener suggestions. If you're a woman that should be featured on this show, if you know a woman that should be featured on this show, if you know a woman that's no longer with us, but her story still has so much incredible impact and it should still be featured on the show somehow, I want to know about it. All you have to do is send me an email to that's what she did podcast at gmail.com or slide into my DMs on the gram. That's what she did podcast. Love to chat with you about it. Right now, I want to introduce you to our guest this week. I have for you Sunny Redbear. She is a mother, writer, advocate, and activist who grew up in the Cheyenne River Sioux Reservation in South Dakota with an incredibly strong desire to know her culture and to seek out her identity. Being a survivor of sexual abuse, she has now become an advocate for Native women who have also experienced such trauma. Sharing stories of finding her own identity, her journey of healing, and writing about her abuse has one main goal, to empower women. She's on the show this week to talk to us about how she uses poetry and writing As a form of activism to empower women and help them heal from their own abuse experiences. I'm so excited to have her on the show. I hope you love it as much as I do. So let's jump in and let's get started. Back to the show, season four of That's What She Did podcast and my guest, Sunny Redbear. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sunny. Yeah, absolutely. So you're a poet mm-hmm. and I'm always super fascinated by poets. I love poetry. <laughs> I love um, the wordplay and I mm-hmm. think just the, the sheer vocabulary you have to have to be a good poet always (laughs) is really interesting to me where it's like how do you really get into this space where it's where it's about the words and making them flow like music but it's just spoken word that's what is your process like as poetry as a poet excuse me
1: so um for me honestly it really just has to come from like my gut my spirit um because like most of my po- poetry all, almost all of my poems that I have um I've written within like 10 minutes 15 minutes even if they're really long um because it just it I can feel myself um wanting to express something that is really either heavy on my heart or something that is Like really inspiring, and it it just comes out for me. um, I started writing when I was really young, and it's it's really funny because like I um, I found this this uh, quote today where it was talking about like I had to write really trash poems (laughs) to be able to like get to where I am today, and I think about that you know when I was like twelve years old, just like writing in my notebooks about. You know, my crushes and like all these different things that I was experiencing in my life. Um, but also, for me, my process was a huge part of my healing. So a lot of my writing has been very heavy and releasing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess some would say dark at times, but really, it was a process of healing, definitely, for me, even when I was younger. I would have like stacks and stacks of notebooks under my bed that no one knew about. So it was interesting to be able to like look at my my art as something that I kept secret for so long. And then mm-hmm. to kind of view it in a in a negative way, like I have to hide this. This is a really ugly part of me. And now to be able to embrace it and use it as something that is empowering to me has been just really life-changing you know
0: when did you know that you were a poet so like when did you transition from the space of writing junk poems like you mentioned to to, to an art form and really recognizing that you had talent and, and something to say so honestly I feel
1: like not just with myself but with a lot of brown women, you know, that we have that, like, imposter syndrome, and so I didn't allow myself to be acknowledged as a writer um, up until just a few years ago. Um, I thought for some reason that I had to be, like, on this, like, crazy scale, you know, of, like, just grandeur, like, where it's it was like I I wasn't at the level that I thought I needed to be to be able to be acknowledged in that way, which um, looking back on that, you know, it was just still like my trauma and my different things that I needed to heal from that was kind of like keeping me, um, like holding me back, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it was just a couple years ago that I actually started like calling myself a poet and a writer and acknowledging that part of myself. Um, which was really uh hard, it was really hard to do, like in the beginning, like I felt like I was boasting or that I didn't deserve the title yet um, but I just went for it and like the more I said it and the more people introduced me in that way, I started to like really accept
0: that it as part of like um, my identity mm-hmm. so how did you get to the point that you were? Willing to start embracing it, getting past that imposter syndrome, what were the first steps for you?
1: Honestly, uh, I feel like the biggest part of that was when um, I realized how important my story was. So, like, I was invited to come speak. And there's this lady, she's been a, a sexual abuse advocate for, you know, 30, 30 years. She's amazing. And I grew up with her, like in the in my community. Mm-hmm. And she saw the different things that I went through in my life. And she reached out to me uh, one day, it was about five years ago. And she said, Sunny, I know that you have a story. And I don't want to push you. And I don't want to like, put pressure on you. But I know that you have a story. And I want to give you an opportunity to share it whenever you're ready. Mm-hmm. And it was crazy, because I was just praying about that like, you know, um, like a week before where I was like my mom, one of my moms, <laughs> I yeah. have several, she told me one time I, I was trying to find direction in my life and I didn't know I needed doors to open for me and I needed doors to close. And I remember my, my mom, she said, take a take a bowl of water and like we'd always have these wooden bowls. She said, Take a bowl of water, go outside and pray with it and um when you're done drink it because water is life and whatever you put into that water like whatever you pray whatever you speak is going to become part of yourself and so I went out there and I prayed and I said I just want opportunity to be able to make a difference in the world like Mm -hmm. I just you know open those doors and as soon as that happened this lady she ended up writing me and I just told her yes like right away so like I went to this um it was a sexual abuse advocate training. And she said, "Sunny, I think that your story would do so well in connecting our, our training to, to actual people. And so I went in there and I shared my story and she introduced me as a writer and I was like, like kind of taken aback, you know, and later we talked about it and at that time was when I realized that my writings and all those things that I like really thought were too much for people were something that people were going to connect to and something that was going to help other people on their healing journey. And so that was when I was like, I need to start owning this, not for myself, you know, part, part definitely for myself. But at that time I was like, it's not for me, it's for other people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, And of course, now I look at it in a different light. You know, I heal myself, I heal others. And so, um, yeah, so that's kind of when that transition, when I started like wanting to own it and for it to really be a part of, like, you know, like I said before, my identity.
0: Mm -hmm. I know that you talk a lot about being a sexual abuse survivor and Mm -hmm. uh, you post about it on social media and you really have dug into that piece of your history and how it sort of shaped you as you've right. grown as a woman. And I'm curious to know how has the writing helped you heal? Um, so writing can be a
1: really scary thing, but um, I think one of the, the scariest things about writing is being able to get it out of your head and out of your, your spirit in your heart. Putting it on paper and actually reading it. And for me, that was like a huge part for me of like validating what I was going through because Mm -hmm. now there's words to it. Now there's things to describe it. Now, um, it's out of, out of, out of me and on a piece of paper. And part of that is scary in a sense that it makes it very real, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: like so real that like, you're not sure if you want to see it or not, you know? But for me, as I began to write, um, the more I released, the more I, I realized that those, those words and those thoughts were not mine to carry, but to express. And so writing definitely gave me an outlet to express the things that I went through and to use it and to express it in an artistic way. So like in a, in a way that wasn't just like, uh, you know, word for word for word of what happened to me. I don't think I've actually written, um, anything that I've just gave a descriptive, you know, detailed, um, writing of my experience, but I've always used it in an artistic way of like what that may, what that feeling may have looked like, Mm -hmm. you know? And so those are definitely things that, um, I, how I use my writing, you know, to, um, with my healing for, you know, my experiences.
0: What for you was the hardest or scariest thing about not just writing about your experiences, but putting it out into the world for other people to read?
1: Yeah. Um, that was really huge. And sometimes I think about it and I I honestly think like, how did I do that? Because Um, I was I started off modeling at a I think I was like 1920 and um, I created a platform for myself like within like the Native American communities around the U.S. and people really knew me well and so when I wanted to come out with my story it was going to be really difficult for me to like not just be seen as a model anymore but but to be seen as um, somebody that had been sexually abused and I think honestly for me, I, I felt like at that time I just needed to, to own it for me like I needed to let the world know for me because um, it was just a, it was too much to carry for me and um, I remember sharing it so like a lot of women, they'll come to me and they'll ask me like, how did you do that? How did you share it? I guess not right now. It's coming back to me that when I share when that lady asked me to share my story at that advocate training, mm-hmm. I was completely surrounded by women that created a safe space for me. Like the, all these women that sat around me, there's probably like 30 of them. Um, they were all women that had a heart. Or people that have went through the things that I went through. You know, mm-hmm. there are women that were wanting to like protect and help um, women like myself. And so I felt really safe to share my story. And that one experience really empowered me to keep telling it over and over to, to more people. Um, but I did begin in in a space like that where I felt really safe. Um, so I think it's important that you either
0: find those spaces or you create them for yourself
1: um, mm-hmm.
0: to share your story, you know? And I know that's a, a big piece of your work now um, because I know you, you, you do a number of things, right. But one of the, your main focuses is a, as a community organizer working with the movement for missing and murdered indigenous women. Is that right? Yep. Mm-hmm. What is the work that you're doing there? So,
1: with the MMIW movement, the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women movement, it it has a long history. Um, when I started it, honestly, I felt like, geez, I, I think I feel I feel like I'm one of the first people to be doing this. But really, there was like generations of women before me that had been doing, you know, relentless work. But for me, um, there's so many different facets to why native women or indigenous women are going missing and are being murdered at a higher rate than any other ethnic group in the United States. You know, there's so many different facets and so many different routes to all of the symptoms that we see on the surface. And so for me, um, I feel like I'm more led to uh, bringing awareness, mm-hmm. but then also dealing with some of the prevention so, like, um, I, I feel like my life goal for sure is to deal with healing. But um, I also know what it's like to be a young girl and be very lost. And so um, with MMIW, I always say that, you know, like missing and murdered indigenous women, like our women become missing and murdered. Because of the things that happen within our homes um, because of the vulnerability that is created whether that means that they were in a domestic violence situation um, maybe like a economic situation where they didn't have enough money and now they're they're in a vulnerable state which is which can stem off to so many other different things of why we are economically challenged you know from the mm-hmm. government and, and so forth. Um, so for me, um, it's definitely like um, trying to uh, help our communities realize what we need to do to better protect our women mm-hmm. and that starts with small things like uh, and then they're not small things, but they're very basic basic um, foundational truths and information and facts like you know what abuse is, what assault is. Um, like really giving definitions to these things that people understand that they are going through them or they are causing them. And then also things like uh, creating and having healthy relationships, like how to do that, what one looks like, when, what one, you know, um, when it's not healthy, what does that look like? Talking about boundaries. So like I go into schools and I talk to different schools and um, students about these, um, these topics And then I also, um, along with uh, two other women, I have done a community march that we have every year on Valentine's Day. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: we invite the community to march with us on the streets, bringing awareness to MMIW. um, Because we live, you know, many times in our communities, there's not information about this. And if you're not, if you're not interlinked and interconnected into the Native community, you're not going to know what's happening within, um, within our homes and within really your own community too. So like we go out and we, we bring awareness to people. Um, the first year, I believe, is probably over 150 people came to our march. Mm-hmm. And then this last year, it was well over 250. So in what we do is we'll march, we'll bring awareness. We have signs, um, we have speakers, and then we'll come back and we'll eat as a community and um, eat together, have elders speak about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, and talking about our roles and what we need to do within our communities. Um, And it also just creates space for people that have had family members that are missing and that have been murdered Mm -hmm. because there's not a lot of acknowledgement, especially in the media, for these people. Um uh-huh. and so it's like creating that space for people to mourn and to mourn their, their
0: loved ones. Um so those are things that like I've done. Right. I mean, I mm-hmm. do want to ask you about the lack of information, right, outside mm-hmm. of the native community. As you mentioned, that this is not something that you hear in the media. And when we spoke before, you you threw a statistic at me that I thought was staggering. You said that native women are 10 times more likely to be killed than other ethnic groups. Right. And that's a that's a massive number. And um and then it just so happened a couple of days ago I was listening to, I don't remember what, probably some other podcast, and they were talking about this statistic and mm-hmm. said that um on native lands. That non-native men, if they come into native lands and commit a crime against a woman, mm-hmm. like a rape or assault, according mm-hmm. to the laws of today, non-native men cannot be prosecuted or held accountable for that crime because it occurred on native lands.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I was like, "Yeah, what?" <laughs> That doesn't make any sense to me. And so, when you look at sort of the systemic issues um, Mm -hmm. that that are from outside of the community that continue to put Native women in vulnerable positions that are contributing Mm -hmm. to this 10 times more likely to be killed than other ethnic groups, and then you link that to the lack of attention outside of the Native community. What do you think needs to happen there to bring more awareness and more attention and seriousness to this problem?
1: You know, it's like I said, it's so multifaceted that there's so many different angles that you can go. You know, like um, I went to the Capitol here in South Dakota uh, testifying for different bills to. To help with with the MMIW epidemic, you know whether that was with the the lack of reporting. So like our, um, the reporting for missing and murdered women here in South Dakota and across the United States is severely lacking. Whether or not it's being reported or not, or um, there's just like a huge gap. So like all these, a lot of women that are missing have never been reported missing Um, when, when some of them are reported missing, they don't have uh, enough information about the person, whether they're, you know, white, Hispanic, or native, or anything like that. So it's like, there's never been a database that was created to show um, how many and who was missing. So like all these things are like, a huge like missing links to to helping solve this problem you know not only that but like you said our systematic um basically oppression that's happened to native people across the united states and in canada um there's so many different things that pertain to that with with me um I see a lot of those cases that happen that not a non-Native person will come onto Native land and commit a crime and can't be prosecuted for it. So uh, there's different people that want to create those bills and um, work with policy change so that we can start creating laws to protect our women um, that weren't there before. And I know that there are a few states that are working on those and really pushing for those um, I think Alaska has got a lot done in that area. But it is, it's is—it's—it's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. The kind of laws that, and the lack of laws that allow these people to actually just come in. And that's where, you know, a lot of not only abuse comes from, but also the, the sex trafficking that mm-hmm. happens. Um, and also the fact that you know, when something happens on tribal lands, that is now, it's federal land. So instead of like the state patrol or the state police department or whoever it is, whatever departments are surrounding that area, they cannot investigate that. The FBI has to come in. And let me tell you how hard it is to get the FBI to come in and investigate these cases. It's like pulling teeth. Mm -hmm. It's, um, you know, it's basically us jumping up and down and saying like, we're important, we're important and we're here and this is happening and no one's seeing us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's different ways that you can go about like helping and, you know, creating change in those areas. Um, like I said, like testifying for different bills and, and supporting different bills that are at your, um, within your state. Um, I'm working with a group of women right now too that we're actually on the ground doing searches for women Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: our police department is just so lacking in whether it's um, they don't want to provide the resources or it's kind of just like half-assed, like it really is, you know. So, you know, there's different cases that we've looked into that, I have so much, um, evidence and witnesses and I ask, you know, have these witnesses been, been questioned, you know, and no, they haven't. And it's just like me, a person that has really no training at Mm -hmm. all, but just my common sense to just be like, this person needs to be questioned. Why has the, you know, hasn't the police department looked into this person, you know, and, and so like, there's, there's actually groups of women that are going out on foot across the United States doing the work of uh, their, their police departments and their governments like across the United States um, because we don't get that support and we don't get that help. And it's really interesting too to find that when they're non-native uh, and they go missing, they will, they will bring out all of their resources to look for these people. They will spend all of the money to be able to find these people and bring them home. But as soon as it's a native person, all of a sudden they start asking really dumb and insensitive questions like, well, you know, was she on drugs? Was she an alcoholic? You know, was she a sex worker? You know, um, all these different things that really dehumanize and demean the the person that's, that's missing or has been murdered and so those cases kind of just get thrown to the wayside of like oh well we're gonna rule it uh um whether it's like um um suicide or whatnot because like I've seen one of my good friends growing up you know they ruled her as a suicide and it there was so much evidence there was extra footprints at the scene there was uh, a shoe, an extra shoe. There, you know, there was obviously somebody there with her when when her accident happened, mm-hmm. and those things—they're just not looked into because it's too much time to um, to spend on on a native person. You know, uh,
0: what's and, your take uh, on why that is? Why the resources will go to non-native? women when they go missing but not native women and i mean not to be blunt but you can't make money off a
1: dead a dead native mm. you can't make money off a dead native and that stems from so many other you know different things of how the government make, government makes money off a native including um you know
0: it. i don't can know can you There's break that story. down a little bit what does that mean
1: so um there's so many different areas in which um, are funded when when you can count natives, mm-hmm. like when you have natives within your system, whether different departments, you get a lot of funding, you know, to to actually help natives. Um, but if if there is no native, you know, like obviously that funding gets lower. Like there's just uh, whether it's schools, like it. If you have a certain number of native kids in your school, you get a certain amount of funding every year. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's different things like that that are going on, um, and I know, like you know, just a couple different cases that have happened here in the in the Black Hills about you know a little girl that went missing. I want to say it's probably been, I don't know, eight months to somewhere around there plus, and they did everything for this little girl. And honestly, like, I, I want that. I wanna see that. And that was an amazing thing to see, but I want it for our people too, you know? And um, they they did dog searches, helicopter um, searches. They did, they brought out all the works for this little girl and that's what she deserved. But so so do Native girls you know and so it it really comes from like a lot of underlying racism as well to here in like the Black Hills there's a very there's tension here like there's racial tension here um it's a tourist uh area as well so we have a lot of people coming in saying like this is so beautiful and like the the history is so awesome and so beautiful and it's like absolutely yes our culture is more than beautiful. It is resilient. But, you know, the Black Hills, they were taken there that you're living, you're you're standing on stolen land. Uh And so um, there's all those underlying things like especially with um, we have like homeless natives here and uh, natives that are dealing with alcoholism and drug addiction and all those different things and so many times, people want to look at the the surface, all the symptoms of of trauma, instead of actually getting to the the root causes of the trauma that have happened to our people. And a lot of that comes from non-native, you know, coming onto our land and the and the things that have happened. Um, and and it's
0: still around today. It's just uh, just like a cleaned up version of it, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, to your point, there's it's such a multifaceted issue, and it's more than sure. it's more than one thing, right? There's a lot of sy- symptoms that are pointing right. to something underlying. Underlying, excuse me. So, yeah. as you work in this space, and you, you know, with your particular form of activism, really is rooted in the writing, in the poetry. What is the right. impact that you hope to have with that?
1: Honestly, for, like I said before, with my writing and what I'm wanting to do with that is really to just create healing for our people. Um, we are we are inherently storytellers. That's just who we are, you know, our ancestors were storytellers before us. And they were such brilliant storytellers that they were able to sustain um, our culture throughout thousands of years through storytelling. And so it's really in our DNA for us to be able to express ourselves and to also share our values of life. And mm-hmm. so um, we're really fortunate to be able to have our culture and to have uh, a really strong sense of it because of, we still have our language and our dances and our songs. We have our stories. And so for me, what I, I want is to like really just tap into that storytelling, that genetic makeup that all indigenous people have and to be able to express yourself through writing, whether it is that you went through um, a lot of trauma. Honestly, all Native people have went through trauma, but there's mm-hmm. just different levels of it. And so for me, I, I like to focus on um, sexual abuse and those different things like domestic violence Because those are things that I'm familiar with, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what I want to come out of it is honestly just for people to have a tool to help themselves heal. To be able to give people that tool to use um, in different forms. Whether it's healing themselves first and then others. Whatever that is. Because I feel like I was not supported in my healing journey through writing. And if I would have been, you know, I feel like I would have came to my healing sooner um, and maybe more in a powerful way, Mm -hmm. although I know that, like, everything happens for a reason. But I think of these young kids that are so talented and um, are inherently storytellers that if they just had somebody to say, like, it's okay to share your story. It's okay. Like, I want to hear what you have to say like, I want to see your creativity and your brilliance, like, on paper, you know, mm-hmm. and to own own your story. And then there's another step to that, which is spoken word, which I do as well. And um, being able to speak it is on a whole nother level of healing, being able to just speak and put it out really into the universe of like, what it is that you went through and how you're reclaiming and taking back that power you know that mm-hmm. was was taken from you and so that's really what I want to come from it is just be able to share that as a tool.
0: Uh, so I know you're doing some work with another organization the Girl Power Project. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so what is that about?
1: So um, the Girl Power uh, Project is going to be um, supporting me and my friend uh, Nicole to work within Native communities to basically empower girls and um, like multiply their impact on society so what they do is they invest in the girl they give you know so much money per child so that we can invest in their lives and so what we're going to do is go into native, our, our Native communities because they, the first community that we're going into was, is on my reservation that I grew up on. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to be teaching them all kinds of different things from traditional teachings of like how to make moccasins, how to sew. We also want to teach them how to create business plans, teach them about healthy sexuality, healthy relationships, um self-defense all kinds of different things so we've written kind of like a grant proposal and here the girl power project saw it and we're like "Yes, yeah, like we want to support you in this and so um they still like they still do take donations and they work in different areas like um in uganda And so Mm -hmm. we will be the first pilot uh, program in the United States. So um, Mm -hmm. we're really excited about it um, to work with, like, these young girls. And it's going to be kind of around the ages of, like, the coming of age, um, 10 to to 16. And so, Mm -hmm. like, those ages where they can be, you know, highly impacted and empowered and So we're we're just, we're really excited. So I am definitely going to bring kind of like an aspect of writing into that, into the program. And
0: yeah, so. That's exciting. For people listening, how can they help? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like you said, this is such a big issue. And it is going to require support from outside of the Native community to really make a big dent. Right. Uh, to really change it, because to your point, systemic issues, systemic racism, um, the historical context are all at play here. Right. So how can people help?
1: So one of the things that I think is amazing of allies is to be able to look for organizations that are already existing and to be able to find the ones that really touch you know, your heart and someone that you want to support. And so there's different organizations that I know of, like in the native communities, like uh, the Sovereign Bodies Institute, which is um, the institute that created the first database for MMIW. And Mm -hmm. that they're doing brilliant work there. Um, Also like the Girl Power Project as well and what they're doing. And then really just doing your research. I think that there's a lot more um, media and articles and different places out there that you can really look into to see what people are trying to do within their communities. There's so many that I can't even name, you know, all of them. But those two really stand out to me. And to be able to, whether it's like donating, you know, monetary or like whether it's donating your time, you know, in whatever resources that you have, I think it's important that we support the women that know our cultures, know what our, know what our children need and be able to, to help them in that fight. Um, so I think that just making yourself aware and doing research yourself of knowing what's going on within these communities so that um, you can know what's going to best serve, serve them.
0: Yeah, Um, I would, you know, I would also put out there for anybody that has a platform that Mm -hmm. can share this information about the movement for missing and murdered indigenous women, the Girl Power Project, you know, the statistics, again, are pretty staggering um, around what's happening with native women in particular. So if you have a publication, a blog, a magazine, a podcast mm-hmm. that can help get this information into the hands and ears and hearts of other people, I would suggest you just use what you have and you know maybe write some stories, maybe get in touch with Sunny or any of these organizations that were mentioned here today and shine a light on it because I think that that helps a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like
1: um, sometimes it is kind of sad when, um, say, a, a, a non native speaks up, people listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens a lot in our movements. But honestly, whatever can bring awareness and um, help the movement, like that's what we're wanting to do. And you're right. Like, I think that especially because we're in a social media era, you know that being able to use your platforms on social media to, to spread that awareness and to, to help us fight like even the small little um, fights that we have to we have to go against every day. Uh, um, different things like honestly, there's a lot of people that don't understand how uh, um, these little, pieces play into our oppression, like um mm-hmm. like mascots, you know, and like the the R word, you know, redskins, like all those different mm-hmm. things, those are microaggressions against our cultures. And so understanding how that affects us and then also bringing you know, helping and um like learning yourself and then teaching others which just is, is just phenomenal for people to do. But Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. If people want to reach out to me, I can always leave them. You know, it's honestly like right now, there's just so many um, that if I, I could definitely make a list for you of, of things that you can check out and um, support different projects going on across the, the we call it Indian country.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. That's great. Um, You know, one more question that I like to ask everybody uh, who's a guest on this show Mm -hmm. is, so the work that you're doing, again, you've mentioned several times is is pretty multifaceted. The -hmm. issue is very multifaceted. And there's a number of ways to connect and a number of ways to try to make an impact. But that also means that it can be very overwhelming. Like it just feels so big that what could you possibly do about it? Right. And you seem to have carved out a path for yourself. And that's incredible considering how difficult of an issue this is. But why do you do that? Why do you do what you do? Why do you go to all of this effort? Right.
1: I, uh, because of my life and what I went through, um, I know what it means to be um, abused. I know what it means to be vulnerable. And uh, I just wouldn't want that for anybody. You know, um, when I was a young girl, you know, my innocence was taken from me. And to understand the hardships that I went through um, because of that, is uh something that you never want people to have to experience in their life. Uh-huh. And so to me, when I think of this movement, I think of family and I think of how um we have a saying, which means like we're we're all related, we're all in relation. And even though it might not seem like it, when one when one woman goes missing, it affects everybody. Um, in whether it's in a very direct way or if it's in a roundabout way, like everyone is affected, and so it just uh, I have a heart for our people, and I see the beauty in in our culture and and who we are, and how strong we are, that I have just this overwhelming sense of duty to protect it, and to be able to, to share it with the world, and for the world to see how valuable um, Indigenous people are to the world, and what we have to offer the world, you know, because there's so many times that People don't look at Native American culture in a realistic way. People either want to look at us in a negative way of alcoholics and addicts and um, dependent on the government. And then the other people want to look at us in a romanticized way where it's not realis- realistic and they, they think that like everything is butterflies and rainbows and we're all wearing bus- buckskin, riding horses and it's so beautiful, but really we're... Mm-hmm. We're real people with real issues that are trying to uh, um, preserve our culture in the society that we live in today. And so if that is something that I could fight for for the rest of my life is protecting our women and our children um, and then healing ourselves and our ancestors and the future generations, that's something that I feel like is worth living for and fighting for and I always tell the kids that I speak to at schools like no matter what it is, do not chase money. Never chase money, chase your passions. And um money will come, like your provisions will come, but chase your passions and go for it like full force with everything that you have and it'll return to you. And so that's what I just that's the way I try to live my life, you know, even with my husband, he's so supportive and the things that I do that I'm able to really um, focus more on my passions and what it is that I want to do for our people rather than, you know, trying to worry about money. Cause um, I feel like we really get caught up in that. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that for, that for me, and I can only speak for myself, you know, but for me, that is definitely why I do the work that I do because I I see myself as this little girl, a little, you know, six-year-old girl that was being sexually abused, adopted out, lost of identity and culture and just searching and lost. And I I see that in so many other little girls that I see that I want to help them. You know, I want to help them Mm -hmm. on their journey to be able to find themselves
0: and heal themselves. So... Thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. Um, So for our listeners, we will link to these organizations and to Sunny's social media and information as well so that you can get in touch. Um, Find a way to support is all I can say. (laughs) Again, use the resources that you have available to you. You don't necessarily have to go way out of your way or change your entire life to have an impact. With something like this. And again, I would put a call out to anybody else listening to this that has a platform that can help shine a light on this. You can be a good ally by uh, using some of your power, some of your audience to help create awareness. Mm-hmm. Thank you again, Sunny, for joining us on the show today. Your insight and your story is so appreciated here. Thank you. It's been an honor. All right, folks, that's it for this week, but make sure you come back next week. We are in season four now. You asked for the show to come back. So here we are. And this season, we are focusing on activists and storytellers. So next week, you will have another incredible, impactful woman to learn about and learn from. We'll see you next time. We're out.